When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. For now. <laughs> For now. I'm just, I'm dying. It's the heat. Well, it, it, in proper Midwestern speak, it's the humidity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are a, a little northern boy, and you're experiencing... Weather that's okay, more akin Oklahoma to what I is have. is not northern. <laughs> like, it's more it's just... no- Listen, it's more northern than I am. <laughs> Can we be yeah. honest, though? Uh, you're not used to experiencing these levels of humidity and heat. I somehow uh, cursed you with Florida weather in Oklahoma, and I apologize. Yeah, you can take it back. It sucks. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the weather. No, we're here to talk about Doctor Strange. So we're going. To ye old 2016, we've leaped forward from the events of Captain Marvel, and we're now entering the mystic realms of Doctor Strange. Right. So, uh, Genesis, if you would remind us all. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Awesome. Thank you, as usual. And I say we jump right in, because I want to get through this this is another origin movie so i'm sure you're gonna have more than two characters to talk about yeah yeah i've got a couple so and in all honesty this movie it's not quite a filler movie in my opinion but it it's got it's got its issues so we can just roll right through it well where of course do we begin but in the past it's not that bad no no this one's not too too bad it happens relatively quickly or relatively soon prior to the plot of the film but we're in Kathmandu and our our bad guy Mads Mikkelsen (laughs) Kaecilius and his followers are breaking into a secret compound at Karmataj and they decapitate the poor librarian yeah we definitely open with a bang and they steal a couple of pages from a book and it contains the steps to a ritual and it's just bad juju. So, of course, the Ancient One finds out what's happening and pursues these traitors, but they manage to escape. Fast forwarding to New York City, we get our first look at our main guy, Dr. Stephen Strange, I think cast excellently with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, though, again, similar to my problem with um, uh, Freeman playing uh, the American CIA operative, 
I cannot hear Benedict uh, Benedict's accent, his American accent, at all. I, I don't know what's wrong. I couldn't tell you, but he does not sound like an American. He sounds completely and utterly British to me. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the way he speaks because his accent didn't necessarily bother me, but his inflection, I think, was the main problem with it. He just seemed a little bit hesitant in the American accent, which is weird because he's done an American accent in film before and it came off just fine. It, maybe it was writing or maybe he didn't have the same dialect coach, but there is a big difference in the inflection patterns between English English, British English, and American English. And our guy, Dr. Strange, is definitely American. Um, he's wealthy and has incredible records with surgeries, an incredible neurosurgeon. And as he's on his way to give a big speech, he gets into a car crash because guys should not text and drive. Man, they should just put that on repeat because, oof. Like, that was a hard one to watch. Watching those hands go through that dash, it still makes my toes curl when I see it. I was punched by that just as badly on the rewatch as I was the first time I saw it. Oof. They show that car crash in detail. And Strange ends up uh, getting hospitalized, but the window for repairing nerve damage kind of closed while they were looking for him because he was in his car in the wreckage for quite a minute before they found him. And his fellow surgeon and former partner, Christine, tries to help him move past, but Strange can't let go of being a surgeon. It's the one thing he's really, really, really good at. It was his passion, and now, because his hands shake so badly from the nerve damage, he's unable to operate. It It's not possible. I mean, the, the entire mentality of the... the godlike surgeon he is the that is his character trope uh, he is a god in the operating room and they they show it by him doing a, a manual thing that no one else would have even attempted earlier um also his scene breaking up with christine is just as painful as his car wreck i have to say so like emotionally this movie does like come out swinging because we're only in the first mm, 20 minutes, I if, I if I'm remembering everything right. First 20 minutes of the movie, and we've had a beheading, a really terrible car wreck, and now we're destroyed. Like, we're watching him destroy his life. Yeah, he's selling his possessions. He's spending more money than he can make because he's obviously not working right now with not being able to perform surgery. And he eventually finds out about someone named Jonathan Pangborn, who mysteriously was able to regain the use of his legs. And he finds him playing basketball. Pangborn directs him to a place called Kamartage, and he doesn't quite believe it, but he's willing to give anything a shot at this point. Because he had seen Pangborn, like, <laughs> they make a note of it, like, he had come to... He had come to Strange to help him get fixed, and Strange had turned him down because he was not fixable according to uh, his, you know, according to Strange's medicine, and he didn't want to risk his career and his reputation on a failed and obviously gonna fail uh, case. 
Because, again, his arrogance is played out spectacularly here. He's, but he sees the evidence of Pangborn before him, playing basketball, standing, walking around, running. And it's like, okay, if that worked for you, then I'll give it a shot because I got to get my hands back. And he uses every last dime to get to Kathmandu. Yeah, he's promptly mugged. Oh, and man, as someone who has fractured knuckles, I've never officially broken a knuckle, but I've had fractured knuckles and then um, not realized it and tried to throw a punch. I can't imagine what catastrophic nerve damage and like your your finger bones becoming splinters and then trying to heal on top of the dozens of experimental surgeries that he went through. His hands are not in good shape and he throws a punch at this guy and it made me hurt when he started throwing that punch because I knew what was going to happen. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it was that was that was the third equally painful like scene in this movie. <laughs> but our good guy Mordo steps in, beats up his assailants and takes him to see the ancient one. And at first Strange thinks that the ancient one is this old guy sitting in this temple, but it turns out to be the scary bald lady serving tea <laughs> who is the ancient one i have feelings you have feelings i think we're gonna save the the controversy around uh swinton's casting for uh, the second half but there definitely was and we'll talk about it here in a minute so we get our first look at the ancient one and at first she tells strange no because she sees a lot of arrogance in him but this is of course after she sends him on a trip no drugs required. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and once he's had his eyes kind of opened to it, he's like, okay, uh, teach me. And she just tosses him out on the street. I think there was also a personal reason for it, which we will discuss later as to why she was so adamant about tossing him out. But even still, he stayed there and they let him back in and was like, all right, we're going to start training you. And I, I want to mention that I absolutely love the, the training sequences in Kamartage. I, as far as the costuming goes, that department earned their paychecks as far as I'm concerned. I thought the costuming was absolutely gorgeous, but was also very practical. It, it mimicked monk garb very well, but was also still able to be moved around in, in a way that was convincing for the styles of martial arts that were influencing the magic style within this film yeah absolutely like the movie is visually in both its practical and its cgi and everything is it's just visually beautiful and that's definitely a, a nod in the costuming uh, they are vibrant they catch your eye they look they look they just look good mm -hmm. and i like that they didn't shy away from texture and giving age to the clothing which Something, you know, you can sometimes see a film and it's very clean cut and it just doesn't feel as organic or as authentic. So, again, major props. We also, within the training sequences, it's it's heavily Tai Chi based because it's all about the flow of energy, which is what Tai Chi is. So it's more of a peaceful flowing art rather than heavy strikes, which kind of plays into the magic aspect as well, because with magic, you're not typically seeing crazy powerful uh, powerful strikes like you would with a warrior or something else uh, and and that's i think what separates dr strange from everyone else that he has to 
act around within the Marvel Universe, too. And of course, we'll see him again later. But uh, I think I think one of the coolest parallels that you can draw is, is when he's not, it's not clicking. He's not getting it. And this is something that he's not accustomed to because he's always been brilliant and top of his field and gifted in what he's done. And he's getting to these sequences, these martial arts, and he can't do it. He's saying, it's my hands, they shake. Well, Ancient One brings up someone who only has one hand, and he's able to perform the movements and the magic and still move the energy despite the fact that he can't make the hand symbols visually. It's definitely mind over matter. And once he gets that, he starts to exponentially improve. Oh, yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, he goes from I can't do it to uh, taking on the most advanced stuff in the library. And, and I'll admit, time time makes absolutely no sense in this movie. Um, like, the flow of it. Like, obviously, from the moment of his car wreck to uh, even his first outings afterward would have been weeks of re recovery and therapy. And then he does... We do montages of him getting the money to do other experimentals. Well, those would have also been weeks and months of time. This movie, the opening sequence probably took all of, over a year, 18 months even, I'd say, which kind of which kind of makes the next scene feel a little out of place because we catch up with our bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. So our bad guy, Caecilius, uses the pages to contact Dormammu in the dark dimension and uses this power to destroy the London Sanctum, which weakens the Earth's protection against the dark dimension. They then want to take down the New York Sanctum and they manage to kill the Guardian, but Doctor Strange is there and is able to fend them off. The Cloak of Levitation is probably the most personable piece of clothing in Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it has a, yeah. it definitely it definitely has a spirit of its own. I I liked watching it like ragdoll a guy. It flies onto his face and just smashes him into walls and snaps his neck. And oh yeah, this thing's ruthless. I I think I'd be a little hesitant to then subsequently put that thing on my shoulders. But as long as it's on my side, I guess we'll let it we'll let it roll. Yeah, it chooses strange, and it's it harkens back to something Mordo had been talking about earlier. Uh, that ancient relics they have a kind of a spirit or mind of their own and they always choose their own user and apparently this thing is so temperamental nobody could ever like sync with it and everyone's really surprised when it, he shows up wearing it later it's like okay it picked him oh boy um yeah um but in the meantime we get one heck of an astral fight what did what you thought what do you think about that one man so the the escape sequence with Caecilius and, and his group of zealots. Uh, man, it's hard to watch. It gave me vertigo. Uh, they're diving in and out of portals and, you know, they end up at the ocean and in the desert. And um, then they had this crazy contraption that traps Caecilius. And let me tell you, that thing looks like it would be one heck of a chiropractic treatment. Where can I get one? Right. I mean... Thing can be said for the thing that like pulls you apart. Like I'm sure the first like two seconds of that is like really good, and everything else sucks. But it's a it's a neat little sequence. A lot of uh, 
hand to hand as well. I enjoyed watching the difference in styles. And I think Marvel has typically done this very well, at, at, at least in a basic format, where their bad guys always have the more crazy jumping around styles. Like some of the some of the zealots were using some capoeira moves. You're seeing a little bit less tai chi and, and more like kung fu-esque fighting style, which was really interesting. And then we also get to see Strange, who is not quite on their level still holding his own just because he's smart and and the cloak of levitation just like listen cloak twenty thousand, everyone else zero yeah uh they capture kaecilius they have a really silly exchange that honestly i think was needed uh where they you know he says my name's my name's strange and he goes yes it is um, your name is mr doctor <laughs> i i have a hard time with that one, because, like, Caecilius obviously has an understanding of English. He's not terribly much older than Doctor Strange, so, like, just following along with the nuance of the conversation shouldn't have been that hard for him. And yet, oh, yeah, your name is funny because it's strange. That one felt very forced. It didn't Tongue fit- Tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, and it didn't fit either actor's, I think, uh, usual repertoire of, of abilities, like, no, because it wasn't it wasn't dry humor like you're typically gonna see from a Benedict Cumberbatch character, and I I mean Mads Mikkelsen is a is a dramatic actor. He's incredible at serious roles and being intense and scary. Yeah, uh, and it just comedy just did not come I'd say quite naturally to them for the for this exchange. So just it it fell flat in my opinion. Yeah, and then he escapes, so it didn't really matter. Right. It's not like it mattered. During this exchange, though, we find out that our Sorcerer Supreme, the Ancient One, is not so holy because she herself is drawing power from the Dark Dimension. Yikes. Yeah, turns out in order to stay with, you know, stay young uh, relatively, you know, to everything. Yeah, she'd been siphoning off power and remaining basically immortal for as long as she did it which is what she was trying to stop Caecilius and the rest of them from probably one, learning, and two, try- then wrecking havoc on everything else by bringing Dormammu to, to do it to everyone else. And uh, we are hit with yet another brutal scene of the Ancient One hitting the pavement. Uh, Oof. Yeah, this movie did not shy away from any of that. Yeah, she no. takes that hit hard. Yeah, and Strange, of course wants to save her, rushes her off to the hospital, but she's ready to go. And she's, you know, they're in the astral. She's stretching out this last moment for a long, long time just to, you know, experience her last moments. And she tells Strange that he and Mordo need each other moving forward because Mordo's so steadfast and about the rules. But Strange has obviously proven himself to kind of take a, a page out of Tony Stark's playbook and play fast and loose with all the rules. Well, okay, we're talking about two very arrogant men who don't ever believe the rules have ever applied to them. Like, I f the reason Strange plays fast and loose with the rules is because he believes the rules are for everyone else. Um, and we see that when he picks up the Eye of Agamotto and starts uh, messing around with it. And this also harkens back to what I had said earlier about why I felt like the Ancient One threw him out. She had seen this moment in her life 
countless times. And so when he showed up on her doorstep, that was the sign to her that, oh, my end is coming and it's coming sooner than I thought. Um, so throwing him out just prolonged that just a little bit longer. It, there's no like real uh, proof of that. I just felt like that kind of made sense as a character thing to do. Uh, after the Ancient One passes, they end up going to Hong Kong because that's where our bad guy Caecilius Kaecil escaped to. And they find our favorite guy, Beyonce, dead. I mean, Wong. <laughs> Poor Wong. Yeah. I, I, I gotta give the, again, stunning visuals on this. And we're running everything backwards except for the actors who are walking forward through the scene as they reverse time. I like, it was. It was just really well done. Um, mm -hmm. And he saves Wong. He backs up time to the moment where we find Wong's body and then before he died and then Strange pulls him out of the time loop and into the protective bubble of whatever he's doing. So now Wong, who had died, was brought back to life. And that, I think, really, really got under Mordo's skin. But we still have Caecilius to deal with and an incursion. Mm-hmm. So while Caecilius is reversed and wanting to take the Sanctum again, our guy Doctor Strange decides to make a loop because Dormammu's coming. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> oh man, like, save the world with a time loop. Like, basically saves coming. I gotta, I gotta give him credit for at least a creative ending. Yeah, and I think, it, I think they did this because... They wanted to show that Strange had changed his ways a little bit, at least, and that he was willing to sacrifice himself, which he has never wanted to do prior, in order to save the world, which is the change that I think the Ancient One needed to see in him. And as such, trapping himself in this time loop with Dormammu, the option is he dies over and over and over again, but not really, because they're in a time loop, and Dormammu is trapped with him on this time loop every single time he kills him. Uh... Creative, but Domamu gets tired of this pretty quickly <laughs> after killing him very creatively several times, and and yet more gruesome murder. Because <laughs> we get to we get to see him die a couple of times before he finally just goes, "Okay, enough. What do you want?" Yeah, he gets vaporized. He gets impaled, stabbed. Uh, just any manner of crushed. Yeah, it's just any manner of means of death that the uh, Domamu could come up with. We kind of had to experience along the way, so... Uh, but eventually, he accepts Strange's deal. We get out of the time loop, and Strange is like, Hey, Caecilius, you know how you wanted to join with the ancient... Or with the old one? Get your wish, buddy. Later. Yeah, they get exactly what they asked for, and they get sucked into the dark dimension along with Dormammu, and all seems good. Except, like you mentioned before... Our guy Mordo was not very happy with the breaking of rules. Most seriously, the Ancient One using the Dark Dimension to stay young forever and Strange reversing time, not only to save Wong's life, but really just defying the laws of nature. And Mordo renounces his sorcerer career and leaves. Strange returns the eye, which is revealed to hold, guess what? One of our shiny rocks that the scary purple man is after. Yeah. At least this one was better than 
the dark world in in how it was handled. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have to have our interconnectivity somehow. Yep. We got to come back to the, we've got to come back to the the world at large. And of course, this ends up bringing us back to New York, where Strange is now the guardian officially of that sanctum and studies with Wong to continue his progress as sorcerer, as a sorcerer. And we've got our mid-credits scene, because we are still in the Marvel Universe. And we get a pretty big cameo from Thor, who's brought Loki to Earth in search of Odin, because we've been here, or we're going to be here, rather. Yeah, uh, Ragnarok hadn't been done yet, but I think the scene had been completed, so it it was just tacked on to the movie. Because it made sense, it fit for something. Um, but yeah, Strange didn't help out Thor, who was looking for Odin, and he brought along Loki. We'll talk all about it in in Ragnarok. And then our post-credit scene, which goes nowhere, ultimately, in the final word of everything, we get Mordo confronting uh, Pangborn. And he steals his magic, because there are too many sorcerers, according to Mordo. That's it? Yeah. I'm... Like, that's, that was such a great setup. And I knew it was going to take some time, right? Because you know, we already knew Ragnarok was next. And then we all knew that Infinity War was right on its tail. Um, and then, you know, the end of the phase and all of that. So it was going to be a while before we got to another Doctor Strange movie. But man, was I excited about the prospect of Mordo going around collecting power and becoming more and more... Um, lawful evil is how I would probably describe him at that point uh, of doing doing whatever was necessary to set the world back in balance. I was really excited for that movie. That movie didn't happen, but whatever. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that when we get to that. But I think this movie suffers a fate not quite as bad as being a setup movie. But it's still got little traces of setup movie just because of the forced interconnectivity with the rest of the universe and, of course, our end credit scenes. So, middle ground? Yeah, it's a very weak origin movie uh, because our villain is one note and and the talent in Mads Mikkelsen is absolutely wasted in Kaecilius because he doesn't, like, Kaecilius himself does not do much of anything other than look threatening in most of his scenes. Uh, He doesn't, he's pushing the action outside of the camera. Like we don't ever really see it. It's, Oh, the, the London one fell. Oh, we need to go save Hong Kong. Um, but he's not, he's not doing anything. And then ultimately he's not even the, really the bad guy. It's Dormammu. And we, and we save the world with a save loop. Yeah, it had a lot of conveniences, and I agree with you that they totally wasted Mads Mikkelsen because he doesn't even need to be in the action sequence to be threatening. He didn't lift a finger when he played Hannibal. Right, yes. So, yeah, it's it definitely gets points knocked for uh, just not a great villain, ultimately. And then, like, our personal connections aren't really fixed or anything, like... Basically, it's to set up Strange being by himself, except with, you know, with Wong and 
being the Sorcerer Supreme. That's kind of it. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's it for this one, really. I mean, I know you've got more than a couple characters to get through, too, and uh, as you do with with the origin. Yeah, so let's hop into the mid-break, yeah? Yeah. All right, welcome to the mid-break. Uh, we like to thank everyone that has stuck with us and are part of Patreon. Big shout out to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. Uh, you too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description uh, for the month of July only. If you join up at the superhero tier, you get to co-host with us on our episode covering Spider-Man Far From Home as the patrons episode. And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or rating on Spotify. Any five-star views will get read out on this part of the show. We don't have one this week, guys. And if you just want to talk with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. A uh, link for the Discord will also be in the show description. Speaking of shows on the robots, uh, tell us about the fight space, Shanko. Absolutely. Well, if you're not tired of hearing from me yet, I also host a little show called Fight Space. It's one of the only female-led martial arts shows on the web. And it's where I discuss the deep roots of martial arts and modern media, cover historical super fights, and break down fight scenes in film, as well as share news from the fighting. I use my experience training in combat sports to give a unique perspective into the shrouded worlds of martial arts and the people who call this space home. Where else can they find you, Psych? Uh, you can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift, a tabletop RPG podcast that uses the Fate system. We play Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. It's a lot of fun. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month. Outside of the Robots Network, I've joined Scyther Audio to create the Avengers audio drama, which is a spinoff of their X-Men audio drama series. Uh, this will be a years-long project, as I'm the writer, the director, the casting director, and the audio engineer for this one. Uh, and... I'm a voice actor playing the Hulk on it, so I'm, which I'm super stoked about. Uh, first episode goes up in September to coincide with the 60th anniversary of the first Avengers comic. If you have more questions or want to audition for the plethora of characters, please email Avenger Audio Drama, all one word, at gmail.com. That is it for the mid-break. All right, so uh, let's get through these characters real quick, and then some controversy. We all love controversy. All right, up first, we have Nicodemus West, uh, introduced in Doctor Strange, The Oath, number one, in December 2006, by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin. He was the doctor that tried to fix Strange's hand, like Strange's hands, uh, both in this comic uh, and in the movie. Other than in the movie being a doctor, that's really all he does. Uh, in, in this comic, he goes on to learn some sorcery himself, but he doesn't learn enough. He accidentally kills a ca cancer patient, trying to cure them with magic, and then he eventually becomes depowered and he falls to his death. He hasn't been revived since. So it's interesting. It's a Basically, that character is an Easter egg for anyone who is a big fan of of Doctor Strange. Uh, next, we've got Kai Celius, uh, introduced in Strange Tales, Volume 1, number 130, in March 1965, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. By the way, you're going to hear me say that a lot. He was a nobody, 
And at the time of the release of the movie, he hadn't been seen since 1982, where he and some cohorts were sealed away in the purple dimension, not to be confused with the dark dimension. Different dimensions, guys. Is the purple dimension where Purple Man comes from? No, Purple Man is Purple Man. And anyway, Kaecilius has only been recently brought back into the mainstream stuff. Was this after the film? Yes. <laughs> Go figure. So, oh yeah, let's get a, a great actor to play this this guy. And now there's demand for him to come back, I guess. Not really. I mean, I, like, I don't know why Kaecilius was really brought into this movie. Because, um, and we'll discuss it later as to why. He just just wasn't necessary. But up next, we've got Dormammu. Introduced in Strange Tales Volume 1, number 126, in November 1964 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Uh, he is the ruler of the Dark Dimension. He's a general mystical despot. Uh, he leads the Mindless Ones, which is what Kaecilius and his zealots become at the end of the movie. Uh, he has a sister and a niece, Umar and Clea, re uh, respectively. And Baron Mordo is one of his primary lieutenants. Uh, fans will know Clea. She is a love interest for Doctor Strange for decades off and on. Creepy. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, Clea, Clea looks like a person, so that's helpful. Oh, she's not a big floating space face? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Whole new spin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I hear your niece is kind of hot. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, I can see why they didn't do that route. <laughs> Oof. So up next, we've got... Baron Carl Amadeus Mordo, introduced in Strange Tales, Volume 1, number 111, in August 1963, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Uh, he was studying under the Ancient One when Strange arrived, but was secretly working for Dormammu. Dun dun dun! And he was cast out when his plot failed, and has been a Thor in Strange's side for decades. Which is obviously not what they decided to do here in the MCU. Which is why I don't know why Kaecilius is here, because you just took Mordo and pulled him out of the role he should have been playing anyway. Like, Kaecilius is just extra baggage. He's just like an extra name in the strange, like, mythos, but not actually necessary or prevalent or anything. It's the Alexander Pierce effect, <laughs> but not quite. Uh, not, because he's still Kaecilius, but... Yeah, he's just not necessary, is really ultimately what it comes down to. Let's moving on here to The Ancient One. Introduced in Strange Tales, Volume 1, Number 110, in July 1963, by, say it with me now, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Uh, he was the holder of the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme when Strange arrived. Uh, he eventually accepts Strange as his apprentice, and then dies shortly thereafter not because of mordo's machinations but because of some other stuff that happens a little bit later in the comics the ancient one is a wizened asian character and so we're going to talk about that casting well we can talk about it here that is a white lady yes so co-writer uh c robert cargill said adapting the character for the comics uh meant having to accept maybe the, the Asian Fu Manchu stereotype, which 
because they were also filming in Tibet and they didn't want to like anger the you know the deals or anything you know that was something they had to consider um also just avoiding the whole Fu Manchu stereotype overall right like you know we're the Asian community is tired of being regulated to like three stereotypes and and that's all Hollywood seems to know about them so uh Cargill called it like and Kobayashi Maru because like we don't want to have a stereotype, but we also, uh, by not giving an Asian role to an Asian actor, would have been received negatively, right? Which is kind of what we saw. So he's kind of stuck in this rock and hard place. Yeah, I think the choice, they, they made a choice and a choice needed to be made. I don't, I think, I think there would have been ways, especially with sensitivity teams and the resources that are available especially on a production as large as a marvel film i would think that they would find a way to navigate it in a way that would allow an asian actor to portray a historically asian character because if you want to talk about problematic storylines i mean dr strange has been often labeled the like white savior storyline because he comes into asian culture and becomes amazing at what they do yes so it's almost worse that they decided to whitewash this role because their main guy was already kind of whitewashing Asian culture. Right. And, okay, so, you know, do you make Doctor Strange Asian? It's like, it, it, what, you know, where, what do you do, right? Yeah, I, I think this one fell a little bit flat where down the line when we talk about Shang-Chi, it's handled a lot better. And, oh, yes. Yes. And, and I think that they were just going through a lot of pains with this. And uh, it, it was a choice that was made. It might have felt like the right choice. It fell a little bit flat. <sighs> that, that's my hang up on it. And they picked, I mean, they also, it was a bit jarring, too, for them to both whitewash and gender bend the character. Yeah, it, it felt like the writing team overall had wanted to make the age the ancient one a woman from the get-go like they wanted to gender bend that because it was just it felt like a good way to add in some diversity to the to the cast overall right they couldn't have uh, gotten like lucy Liu. <laughs> well so you know they they mentioned that they felt like getting an older asian woman would invoke the dragon lady stereotype while getting a younger asian woman would be uh perceived as exploiting the asian fetish right so you know, if you, you want to make it a woman, but it seems like either case uh, tends to like, bring up some other negative stereotype. Yeah, there just wasn't, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place, and ultimately they made a choice. It might not have been the choice to make, but it was a choice. Sure. Um, and they, they've tried to, like, skate around it. Uh, well, now she's dead, so it doesn't <laughs> Well, okay, there's that. But also, Feige has gone on to say that the Ancient One and the Sorcerer Supreme, those are mantles that can be held by multiple characters. So there, there's always the possibility of a more comic-accurate Ancient One to exist within the MCU. Yes, Swinton's casting was was whitewashing, and it was heavily criticized for it. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to hate on Tilda Swinton because I love her uh, in, in yes, just about and- everything else that she does. And she was very good with the script that was presented. Yes. Um, and ultimately, uh, Dickerson, he said, um, Asians have been whitewashed and stereotyped in American cinema for over a century and people should be mad and or nothing will change. 
what I did was the lesser of two evils, but it was still an evil. And he's not wrong. Uh, and he owns up to it. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the casting room for this one, to be honest. No, that's that's so difficult. That's so difficult. It just felt like no no real choice actually would have been very good. If they had done an old white, or not old white man, an old Asian man, we'd be knocking it for the Fu Manchu full, you know, full tilt. Or, or at least would be at least not, uh, talking about it. If it had gone with the older Asian woman, we'd been like, ugh, here's another dragon lady. It, it's just, it, it just doesn't feel like there was any right choice to make and they had to do something. Yeah, it's difficult. And, and that, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. It might have felt like the choice to make at the time, and it just wasn't, it didn't land the way they wanted it to. Right. And they do go on to do better with uh, the Ten Rings and, and everything else. So, you know, like you said, or nothing will change. Well, because of the movie here, it feels like it's something pushed, and now we're we're going to see some of that effect down the line. And already seeing it with the Ten Rings, so. Because, I mean, now, you you know, with, I loved what they did with Wong. He was just there, he was cool, and everyone liked him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, let me skip to Wong here real quick. So, uh, speaking of, introduced in Strange Tales Volume 1, number 110, in July 1963, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, but he was not named until number 119. Uh, he is a talented uh, martial artist and mystic himself, but he, in the comics, is regulated to Strange's servant. Uh, he's like a valet or chauffeur, butler. It, it's not the best relationship in the comics. It gives the ick. He stands up for himself. Uh, in the 2000s, during the Civil War and uh, some of the aftermath of that, uh, when the new Avengers are hiding out, he's like, I'm not going to be your Jarvis anymore. Uh, and he and, and Strange get into it a lot. I mean, there is a genuine friendship there, but how much of that is because there's this master-servant aspect at play is unclear. So yeah, the MCU, far better. Uh, and can I just say that the chemistry between the Benedicts was incredible in this film? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Dude, homie, they couldn't have found a better guy. His name is Benedict Wong. Right? Yeah, uh, like, just nailed it out of the park. And and in future installments of, of MCU stuff, Wong is just phenomenal. He's dry, he's witty, uh, and he is just top-notch funny uh, in a way that Strange just isn't. Exactly. And I loved how they played off of one another, and every scene where they share screen time, I absolutely loved it. Yes. <laughs> I especially loved the scene where he came where he was brought into the time bubble and was like, you were dead. And he's like, well, I'm not now. So let's get on with it. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, don't stop now. <laughs> he's like, are you going to yeah. lecture me about bending uh, the laws of nature? And he's like, well, uh, not now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, uh, nope, I'm alive. We're done. We're good. Uh, all right. So we got to talk about uh, Christine Palmer. Uh in the comics, she is also known as, or she's one of the characters known as the Night Nurse. Uh, introduced in Night Nurse number one in November 1972 by Gene Thomas and Wynn Mortimer. Lee wanted to make comics that appealed to uh, girls and women. Uh, so we got the short-lived Night Nurse series. Uh, 
uh, Jean's husband was Roy Thomas, uh, and his contribution to the idea was, well, what if we got women to write these comics? Like, you know, it was some sort of, like, light bulb moment, which feels very, like, duh now. Like, of course you should get women to write comics to appeal to women. What a novel concept, Marvel. It was the 70s, okay? <laughs> You're right, I know. Um, it only lasted about four issues, though, due to poor sales, because I'm going to say probably because it wasn't publicized very well, and... Marvel hadn't done a very good job of appealing to women on other books, and it didn't have anything to do with the greater universe. Like, yes, these characters were within New York or something, but they didn't interact with any of the other bigger names. So you're still segregating the women off to do their own little things, is what it felt like. And was. There's no real getting around it. It was pandering at its finest. Exactly. Exactly. Like, we'll make you a comic, but it's not going to deal with any of the things that we you might actually want to read about. Oh my god, why would we do that? <laughs> it was the 70s. Oh yeah, it was the 70s. I'm glad we're not there anymore. Right. Right. Uh, except for... That. Anyway. Um, <laughs> later, because these characters are still part of the Marvel comics... Palmer does operate as a nurse for the street-level heroes, and she becomes Strange's girlfriend briefly after the events of Civil War. Her current whereabouts are unknown, and I think that was the only reason that this character was brought into the movie was because for a little while she dated Strange. Otherwise, I think they tried to fit in Clea or something if we didn't have Christine Palmer. And I got to admit, for uh, our leading lady here, she does very little for the plot. Uh, it feels like she's there for emotional punching bag, and that's about it. Which, uh, McAdams deserves better, uh, to be honest. Marvel do better. Exactly, yes. I think I think really one of the very few women that they've nailed is Pepper Potts. After that... I, I, would, I would also give Foster on that. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. And, you know... But it's, it's, widow, fewer, and but far, it's fewer and far between. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Widow to an extent, but they they gave her like three films where she was just a hot chick, even though she's That's awesome. That's true. That, yes. Yeah, where half of the merchandise sales were based on um, how shapely her rear end was rather than anything else. Yeah, how come on the Avengers poster she's the only one facing backwards? Uh, look, I, do I look like I work for Marvel? I mean, if I worked for Marvel, would I be doing this podcast? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, if I was making decisions for Marvel, uh, d other decisions would be make being made at this point, okay? <laughs> Listen, Marvel, if you're listening. Right? Um, we, need, we need jobs. And we, we have like ideas. Jobs. And clearly you need help with <laughs> women. And right? Asian people. And a lot of other things. But uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Last guy, and then I swear we're done, guys. Uh, it is the man himself, Dr. Stephen Strange. Introduced in Strange Tales, Volume 1, Number 110, in July 1963, by... Stanley and Steve Dinko. There we go. <laughs> he was named Strange because he would be appearing in Strange Tales. That's it. 
That's the that is the mystical background to Doctor Strange and his name. And it's because while well, we already got this comic, Strange Tales, uh, let's just make it about Strange going on adventures. And they Isn't are strange it, tales. At least he's a doctor this time. What if they just made him like Captain Strange? That would be Oh, oof. oof. Yeah. Mr. Strange. Mr. Doctor. Oh. oh. So yeah, the comic exists because they wanted to add a mystical element to the Marvel lineup. Um and in the comics after the apparent death of the Ancient One, uh, Strange becomes the Sorcerer Supreme, uh, which he would hold until the very late two thousands uh, and before passing the mantle over to, and if you thought the Asian community was getting worked over, uh, Brother Voodoo is Yikes. who he passes that off to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Like, talk about barely understanding a culture and then just shoving it into some comic books and say, good enough. Because uh, they've got Wiccan, too, which is a whole other problem. Yeah. Um... Like we mentioned earlier, there is the very heavy handedness of the white savior trope all within early works of Doctor Strange. I think they figured that out and they moved away from it, making his uh, adventures a lot more uh, based on mystical things rather than um, experiencing Asian culture and everything. So that helped pull it away, even though he's a white man who uh, mastered the far eastern mystics and became their master and thus protector of the world it i mean it's the problems exist it was 1963 and that's really the only excuse i've got at this point <laughs> it's the white savior trope we see it in media all the time i mean the whole i mean i love jean-claude van damme but kickboxer series is totally the white savior thing they go over to thailand to compete in these crazy death matches, and oh yeah, there's this white guy with a story. I mean, we can see it all the way up into modern media today, outside of uh, Doctor Strange here. Uh, what was the movie with Mark Wahlberg and the Chinese uh, Great Wall? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, and that movie is less than ten years old. And I love Keanu Reeves, but the 47 Ronin movie that he was in? Yeah. Um, oh, um... The Last Samurai? Yeah. I love Frank Grillo too, but Wolf Warrior. <laughs> I'm not killed familiar in, with that one. It killed in China. It was a Chinese-produced film, and they brought over Grillo, but it, it's more or less white savior trope. They bring this crazy soldier guy over, and he, he inserts himself into the problem in China. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah, uh, but yeah. media has problems. Media has problems. And like I said before, we, we improve vastly on this in later films indeed so yeah uh that's all of our characters for dr strange here uh and all of our real world problems with it um overall movie gets like a six out of ten in my opinion maybe more like a five and a half out of ten it's not great it's but it's there and there are worse movies uh, it loses points for wasting mads mickelson because he could have oh, been yeah. so good he could have been so good Ah, I mean, just almost any villain other than Caecilius would have been so phenomenal. I mean, him as, don't get me wrong, um, uh, Chet, I can't ever say his, his name, but, um, the, the guy who played Mordo was great. But, you know, if, if we're saying Caecilius was unnecessary, putting Mickelson in as Mordo 
Whoa. I mean. Giving him more screen time, more more lines, rewrite Because, I mean, you could have had the Dormammu zealots without a, a leader, and it would have been a, a great twist if they're like, oh, by the way, Mordo has been the bad guy all this time. Right, yeah, he's a surprise twist villain of like, oh yeah, I've se- I've been secretly working with Dormammu, which is like the whole point of his character in the comics. Mm-hmm. Just do what he's supposed to do. But yeah, I agree with you. I think there are worse places to be when- than where this movie falls. And I wanted more from it, considering the actors that they cast in it. I mean, you've got Benedict Cumberbatch, Mads Mikkelsen, Tilda Swinton. You've got this great cast. And then you made choices. Yeah. Yeah. But where are we heading next week? Uh, next week, we're heading into uh, what the mid credit set up, Thor Ragnarok. We're going to figure out what Thor and Loki are up to and where that heads off in, into the great unknown. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Indeed. So on that, catch you next week, everybody. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In Seven Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.